Croeso, welcome to Recovery Now Radio, which is brought to you in conjunction with Adveriad Recovery and Living Room Cardiff. Adveriad Recovery is a registered charity offering specialist support to those with co-occurring substance misuse and mental health conditions. Living Room Cardiff provides ongoing support and aftercare as a community-based recovery centre that has an all-addictions approach, including gambling, alcohol, drugs, both prescribed and illicit, sex, eating disorders, gaming, etc., or any other harmful behaviour. We welcome anyone who needs confidential support in taking those first important steps towards change and recovery. Family members and friends are also catered for. For further details, please see the Adveriad Recovery website, www.adveriad.org.uk and www.livingroom-cardiff.com. Diolch Thank you so much. Hello and welcome to Recovery Now Radio, brought to you by The Living Room and at Veriad. Let's recover together. Welcome everybody to Recovery Now Radio. Let's recover together. Um, I'm Julie, your presenter today, and um, today's guest is Veronica. Hi, Veronica. Hi, Julie. So great to be here. Oh, good. Um, so you very kindly come in today to talk about your addiction with alcohol um, mm-hmm. and your recovery, um, and also you you are a therapist, and I think you called yourself a sober coach, which is a recovery recovery coach is it yeah Yeah. I I, I'm I was a psychotherapist in the UK for Uh eight or nine years and then I I now live in America and uh it's just easier for me to work as a coach than it is as a psychotherapist because I have clients all over the world so a sober coach is is kind of what fits really now brilliant brilliant and just tell us a little bit about where where you are in America California did you say yeah I'm right on the border of California. I'm about five minutes away. Um, I live in Lake Tahoe, which is, uh, I live in Nevada, which is the same state, the uh, same city that uh, Las Vegas is in Nevada. So that's why you may have heard of it. Um, but I'm originally from Cambridge. I grew up in East Anglia uh, and I've lived between the UK and America most of my adult life. Oh, brilliant. Interesting life. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll start by playing your first piece of music. You've chosen A Night Like This by The Cure. Um, why did this one make your list? Oh, well, when as soon as Nick reached out to me and Greg about coming on the show, I'm like, oh, my God, I, you know, I love music. I've been going to gigs and seeing live performances was a massive part of my life when I was younger. 
And um, The Cure is my band. The Cure are my favorite brand of all time. I ran away from home when I was 16 to go and see them at Wembley Arena <laughs> in 1989 with my best friend, Lindsay. And um, I chose this song because it was very hard, you know, picking a favorite Cure song is like picking your favorite child. And um, I wanted to pick this one because I wanted to dedicate it to my friend Lindsay because um, we've known each other since we were about 12 years old. And she's just been one of those, she's been a consistent friend throughout my life. You know, in my 20s when I was in active alcoholism and addiction and I was very inconsistent and chaotic, um, probably not a very good friend. Um, she's just always accepted me and um, you know, one of my favorite things to do in the whole world is be at a live Cure concert, dancing with Lindsay. It's, that's, it gets no better than that for me. So um, yeah, the, 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 first, the first song was always going to be The Cure. <laughs> Brilliant, let's give it a listen.
So that was A Night Like This by The Cure. Um, you're listening to Recovery Now Radio, brought to you from the living room and Adveriad. Let's recover together. So that was a special tune there for your friend Lindsay. I hope she enjoyed it. And uh, <laughs> She will be dance, bopping away in her car. I can That's what her. we want. Great. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so you're talking about sort of your teenage years and running yeah. off to concerts. If we go back a little bit to when perhaps a little bit younger, mm-hmm. would you like to just sort of fill us in a little bit about what your family life was like? Yeah, it was... Uh... I mean, I grew up with a a single parent mother. My father left when I was about five and uh, we grew up in Thetford in Norfolk in low income housing. And uh, I was about 10 when I figured out neither of my parents knew what they were doing. And and, um, that created a feeling of of, um, being unsafe because when you're a child, and and there's kind of chaos in the home or there was there was mental health issues in my with with my both my parents I just knew that they just didn't have a handle on things and it just made me very feel very unsafe so um I left home when I was 16 I was desperate to escape and be free and and you know I was I started drinking at 14 15 and I was I never drank normally ever I I you know I, I remember being 15 years old being in a pub this is in the 80s when you could easily get into pubs when you were underage in the yeah. UK and uh waking up outside of a pub lying in my own vomit with a the landlord throwing a bucket of water over me and I remember having this thinking there's something not quite right about this but everyone around me saying you are so wild and crazy you had a great time and and my brain kind of went oh that's how you have a good time and have fun that's that's normal and uh, my drinking was like that, you know, it was always like that. It was chaotic. It was out of control. Um, and eight, by the time I was 18, I'd already hit a rock bottom. I was, I'd, I'd done um, lots of drugs, lots of hallucinogenics, and I was in drug-induced psychosis. And at 18, I was suicidal. And I, like most people with an alcohol problem, I didn't, it's not that I wanted to die. I just didn't know how to live. And I, I was desperate. And, and that's really when my drinking took off. And I went from being sort of the binge drinker party girl to drinking to cope. You know, I, drinking before social situations, drinking, you know, always needing a drink or two in me before I did anything with people because it was the only way to cope. And then I, I spent about another nine years trying to manage that before I got sober. Gosh, I, I can identify because, you mm. know, myself, I'm a, an alcoholic in recovery mm. and um, mm. I can identify so much there with what you're saying, you know, that that mm. need to have have that drink before you even yeah. walk out the door, you know, just to face life. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And yeah. and you think when you get sober, you think you're the only one. Like I mm. would have to have about half a pot of wine in me before I went out for a night out. And uh you think, and then you sort of hear all these stories. You're like, "Oh, I thought I was the only one who did that. <laughs> I mm. thought everyone else was okay, but everyone else—that's that, a very common thing." Yeah, yeah. So, sort of to go back a little bit as well. That that, that feeling of isolation, maybe. Mm. Do, do you think that oh. was the the biggest the biggest thing about my life before I got sober? And it wasn't really just when I was drinking. It was really from my childhood. Was an incredible and profound sense of loneliness Mm. I felt loneliness was a massive companion to me I Mm. um you know I was an only child with a mother with mental health issues and I I spent a lot of time on my own lost myself in books and music 
and I never felt like I fitted in you know the a very common experience I now know for for most people with a alcohol problem um just meaningful connection just always felt out of my grasp and that was what I was yearning for and was looking for and it was really a primary motivator of, of my addiction of, of my alcohol and drug use is that I it promised me connection and sort of gave me a sort of fleeting artificial version of it but the yeah I was desperately desperately lonely and, and in fact my only suicide attempt I think I was about maybe 23 or something it was an August bank holiday and uh I had no plans nothing to do no one to see and and I just felt this like black hole of depression and loneliness and mm. and I took an overdose and that that's the only it was the loneliness and I I say this that it's not alcohol that kills alcoholics it's it's pride and it's loneliness those are the two things that kill us the, the loneliness and then you know I had to when I got sober I had to work really really hard and consciously to build meaningful connections. And and now, you know, I can't remember the last time I was lonely. I, you know, if my if my husband and kids went away for the weekend mm. and left me on my own, I'd be getting the flags out. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I I, I deeply I, I feel like it's a very common theme with everybody who suffered from addiction. Because even if you're surrounded by people, we just can't connect. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Again, I identify so much with what you just said. Mm. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's stop there for a second and we'll play your next piece of music. So Glory Days by Sarah Gillespie. So I had to include this. So Sarah is my best friend and she's an incredible singer songwriter. And um, it's interesting that you had me, you asking me about my childhood because we met when I we were 16 and um, her family uh really were a safe harbor for me you know I've, I've lived with her stayed with her and you know I, I would have to say meeting Sarah changed my life you know she opened my eyes and mind to things that I didn't think were possible for me I, I it was a life-saving friendship and and has been you know through again throughout my recovery and my addiction um I just can't imagine my life without her and um her mum sadly passed away when I was pregnant with my first child, so almost 10 years ago. And she wrote this about her mum. And her mum was just a, she was amazing. I loved her mum. She was had the best laugh and sense of humour. And uh, they, as a family unit, they really showed me, like that's been my role model as a family, is I want to raise children that are friends with their parents as adults, because that's what I saw Sarah had. So uh, I love this song and, and she's a great artist. Okay. You danced with the crusaders and the devout I hunted you down with the porters were handsome I held you too close, then I held you for ransom I had all your passports, I wish you'd hold me I don't mind you're gone, but I wish you'd have told me Soldier, drunken bomb pit, you dug up his treasure. 
So that was Glory Days by Sarah Gillespie. What a great track. That was Isn't amazing. Yeah. That was absolutely great. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah, I was smiling when I was listening to it because I know her um her mum would have got such a kick out of that song. And and she's such an incredible lyricist and writer. Mm-hmm. I, I know her, you know, we traveled around America together when we were young and she would produce these songs about, you know, various situations and boyfriends and things. And I've I always know what, what the songs are about. Mm, yeah but yeah she's yeah. amazing interesting yeah good so yeah so sort of talking about you, you've moved around quite a lot mm, as well haven't mm, you mm, and yeah. so when when did you sort of go to the states was was that after uni or were you in uni um no so uh, so this was all Sarah as well um we were 19 and she was taking a gap year I I had no plan I didn't know what the hell I was going to do in my life I just needed to work this week so I could have money to party at the weekend. That was basically my plan. And uh, Sarah was over in America with another friend of ours, Emma, and they both said, why don't you come and visit us? Uh, We're we're in Key West in Florida. I mean, I'd never even been on an airplane before. So I went and visited them and 
like any good alcoholic, the, the holy grail of an alcoholic is to find out where the party is. <laughs> because it's never where you are, right? There's, you know there's a better party somewhere. So I land in Key West, which is this tropical island on the edge of the Caribbean, loads of bars, tourist destination. And I'm like, this is where the party is. <laughs> I found it. <laughs> and um, I spent the, between 19 and about 28 going backwards and forwards between Florida and England. So I was doing geographicals. I was I was just running away. You know, I would go to Florida and for a bit and, and work and party and burn myself out and burn bridges and then think I'd need, oh, I'll go home. And I went back to home and I went to London. I did my degree and this, you know, I burn out and burn bridges. And then, so I was always, uh, so I've moved continents seven mm. times. Yeah, just running, just running. Yeah. Did, you know, did you it feel, would be better over there. Yeah, did did you feel you were still in control at that stage or? Am I drinking? Mm. I never, I don't think I ever thought about it because I didn't think that alcohol is my problem. I, I thought I had a very rare mental health problem that nobody mm. else had. Uh, I used to, I had really bad panic attacks and anxiety and, and mm. um, I th thought that was my problem. I didn't, you know, because I surrounded myself with a peer group who drank, drank the same way I did. And, and mm. I thought, you know, an alcoholic is a you know, homeless person. I mm. didn't even consider. I, I started using a cocaine again when I was in Florida and I knew that that probably wasn't a good idea. But it never, ever occurred to me that not drinking alcohol was an option. Like I just, it never occurred to me. I just thought that's what you do and you just have to figure, keep going until you find a way to manage it. And were there any sort of, was it starting to affect you, the yeah. alcohol and the drugs? Yes. I mean, on the outside, I, th I think I pretty much, again, more or less passed for being okay. I mean, I didn't, I always, I never lost a job. I've never been arrested or anything like that. But I... I was chaotic for sure, inconsistent, etc. But on the inside, I mean, yeah, I, I, I was, I was suicidal for years. I mean, I just didn't. I felt, you know, the desperation, the loneliness, that that de just desperate feeling inside that I know everybody who has had a problem with substances will relate to of just mm -hmm. never feeling like I was going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, it, it all alcohol does is make anxiety and depression worse. It, I mean, you think it makes it better, it, but it, it just makes everything worse. So I I felt like I was gradually dying on the, the inside and nobody could see that. I think as well, I read on my phone about what you'd written um, about sort of your, your blog or mm. on the Instagram thing, um, that alcohol hijacked your life. Yeah, it, it's all about bandwidth, you know, and you don't know about this at the time, but I sacrificed a lot of bandwidth to alcohol. Mm. And when you have a problem with alcohol, you do four things. You drink, you think about drinking, you think about not drinking, and you recover from drinking. Yeah. And that takes up a considerable amount of bandwidth. And it took mm. up at least 40, 50% of my bandwidth was, am I going to drink today? When am I going to mm. drink today? Is it okay? To, do people know I'm drinking or I'm hungover? How am I going to get through the day? I'm never going to drink again. Blah, blah, blah. Mm. And um, all you, you know, so I couldn't, you know, I could work, I, I could pay my rent, but I couldn't grow. I couldn't, I, I couldn't 
even come close to fulfilling any potential that I had. Mm -hmm. I was just checking off days and getting it through to the end of the week. Mm -hmm. So it completely hijacked my life. And that's the glorious gift of sobriety is when you get your bandwidth back and you have full access to it because you're not doing any of those things. In my experience of working uh, for 20 years with people with, with an alcohol problem, that's where our extraordinariness is. And that's what we get access to. Brilliant. Well, we'll stop there for a moment. We'll play your next track, which is Hey by the Pixies. Oh. So tell, tell us about this one. Lo- the pic- oh, I love the Pixies. Love this song. It's such a great song. Uh, the Pixies were the first band I ever saw live, 1988 uh, at the UEA in Norwich. And um, I was... Uh, I, I was a goth uh, during my teenage years, you know, I just wanted Brilliant. to just, I just wanted to be different. I just, you know, didn't want to be like everybody else. And um, I went to, went to see the Pixies, I think with a, a boyfriend at the time and just fell completely in love. And I loved Kim Deal, the bass player. I've, she, I just thought I saw this powerful woman on stage and just thought, man she's so cool this is just one of the grooviest sexiest songs ever love the pixies great
So that was Hey by the Pixies. You're listening to Recovery Now Radio, brought to you by the Living Room and Adveriad. Uh, I'm Julie, the presenter, and our guest today is Veronica, who's coming to talk about uh, alcohol and drug addiction. So I loved what you said just before that record was played about we're extraordinary people and and how extraordinary our lives go on to be once we get recovery. I, I, I I just love that. Yeah. And that's my experience. I mean, I've been sober for over 21 years and I've worked, you know, in rehab, you know, clinics. Mm. Uh, That's my career is is working in addiction. And it never fails to humble me and Mm. amaze me when I see people from where they are. And, and you know, I've certainly had people where I felt like, this feels pretty hopeless and see them come back and and it's not just you know come back to life we we've just been we're people who have been to the edge we have known darkness in a way that a lot of people just don't experience but because of that it gives us something else you know i i think it, you know i i'm sure you have the same experience when you're around sober people the gra- the level of the depth of gratitude absolutely the yeah just the appreciation of authenticity of of connection and um i've just seen so many incredible stories you know and 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 things that you just couldn't believe and 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 wouldn't believe and and i it never gets old for me Mm. never gets old so so what what happened to make this change what what happened to you i i spent quite a long time I mean I think I was I started looking for help from when I was 18 when I, I uh, reached my rock bottom and I went to, I went everywhere I went to doctors psychiatrists psychologists religious people therapists uh, looking for help and answers and and I think I was presenting with my mental health problems and minimizing my alcohol use and, and nobody ever kind of presented that to me as like you need to stop drinking and um I was in Florida and uh, so this is how I got sober. I um, I wanted, I, I, I'd done my degree and I wanted to, I figured out I wanted to sort of help people. Um, but because I had such crippling and anxiety and panic attacks, I couldn't handle being in groups and teams and I wanted to do stuff that was one-on-one. And I thought, I'll become a therapist. That's one-on-one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can do that. So the local college, the only program it had was an addictions counseling program. So I was like, oh, all right, I'll do that. And I went along and I, I kind of sat in the classes and was like, huh. And I met lots of people, like most people who work in this field are people who are in recovery. And, and they talked about that they went to AA. And I was honestly, I slept, walked into sobriety. I It wasn't one day I woke up and thought, I'm just not going to drink today. And it turned into a week and it turned into a month. And um. I couldn't believe how much better I felt just not being hung over. And then I thought, well, I'll go to one of these AA meetings just to see what these poor people are like that I will be counseling. And I went along and I didn't identify with anybody. Everyone was much older than me and had these really kind of spectacular stories with being arrested and DUIs and, and none of those things happened to me. And I still to this day don't know why I went back. I, I think I because I'd stopped drinking, I'd lost all my my drink, my friends because like I wasn't going out and I didn't didn't have much to do and I went back a few times and and again didn't none of it really made sense or, or I didn't identify with any of it until one day I heard a man and I think it was about I'd stopped drinking for about three months at that point I heard a man in a meeting talk about fear 
And he spoke about fear in a way that I'd never heard anyone speak about fear. And he'd said that his whole life he had been had spent being afraid of everything and anything and nothing. And that's why he drank. And I just sat there and went, that's me. Mm-hmm. I thought I was the only one who felt that way. I am so frightened. Mm. Fear is so deep within me. And everything clicked in that moment. It was the light bulb went on and I was like, and I got it. And I understood because I, I, I wasn't, even at the end, I wasn't a daily drinker. I, I'm so physically allergic to alcohol that my body, you know, I would drink for four days and need at least three days to recover. And I, I thought, you know, I wasn't qualified to be an alcoholic. I wasn't qualified to be there. And, and he, what from there I understood that it was an internal condition. It was a spiritual, emotional condition. And, and that um, I needed to, to, to change what was inside of me, not fix what was outside of me. It wasn't about getting the right boyfriend or losing 10 pounds or living in the right place. It was about how I dealt with my emotions. So that I, all kind of fell into place from that moment. I really understood finally what my problem actually was. It was alcoholism. And then I could embark on the solution. Mm-hmm. Um, and everything changed from that moment. And I threw myself into it. I mean, I'd been searching for 10 years for an answer. And when I understood this is my problem, this is the answer, I was like, where do I sign up? I sort of got well by learning to, like you say, the inside of you, you know, like the dark mm. side of you, learning to love that bit as well mm. and accept that bit. Yeah. And it's very much the wounded child. Yeah. I, I um, there's, there is, it is going back, back and reparenting yourself and mm. healing yourself and and forgiving yourself as well so yeah I, I i very much identify with that well we'll listen to your next piece of music there you've chosen one of the favorites of the of the whole <laughs> show that we do there's there's normally uh, you know somebody has an abba song or so we've got dancing queen by oh. abba <laughs> so i love this <laughs> how can you not love abba they exactly. are so feel good and i i absolutely love to dance i love to dance and and when i got sober i didn't think that i'd ever go dancing again or go out (laughs) and i remember the first time i went i was about 11 months sober and we went to a club and we danced and it was really weird (laughs) and then it was normal you know and there's nothing i mean sober people love to party (laughs) i've been to a lot of sober events where the dance floor is packed with people letting loose not a care in the world so i mean there's no better song to dance to than this absolutely
So that was our old time favourite there. That was ABBA and Dancing Queen. A great, great song. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. So sobriety is going quite well. And earlier on, you talked about you only felt that you could sort of do one to one, -to -one kind of therapy. Yeah. And, and so then you obviously moved on to probably going to groups for support. Was that hard to do for you or did it just what, well, what happened? Um, when I got sober, my anxiety and panic attacks began to decrease, but they didn't mm. vanish overnight. So I still had like, I would have a panic attack in a meeting. But th at this point, I knew that I had to stay. And so for the first time ever, I was able to like, I had to ask for help. And, mm. and I got a sponsor and I told her and, and she helped me and, and that, you know, that kindness and not having to like, you know, A, you're having a panic attack and B, you're trying to pretend that you're not having a panic attack and everything is okay. Um, I would say it took a year to two for them to go. I mean, I can't remember. I've had some mild anxiety, certainly. Um, maybe mild to medium anxiety in inappropriate places, you know, when there's been pressure at work or something. But in terms of my panic attacks, that that's in the past now. And, you know, I can do things now that I never dreamed of doing. I mean, s sitting in groups, um, leading groups, speaking in front of hundreds of people, you know, what group as a therapist, group therapy is one of my favorite, favorite things to do. So you know, it, 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 stopping drinking is the first thing to do, but I, it's doing the deeper emotional work, beginning to work on my fears and my limiting beliefs and my resentments and all that kind of stuff. It changed how I thought, how I perceived the world, and, and that's what eliminated the anxiety eventually. And having that connection with, with others in addiction yeah. is, is so yeah. vital, isn't it? You know, yeah. you learn so much, don't you? you know, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's life-saving. We we, ha we have to, um, I, I have a program, um, The Five Pillars of Sobriety. I, I have a book coming out um, in January. It illustrates the program. And connection is one of the pillars. The five pillars are movement, connection, uh, balance, process, and growth. And and in the book, I write that we, we have to have meaningful connection. And, and that's people who know our souls. So there's not everybody, but we need to be known and seen at a very deep level because it's life sustaining. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a core part of sobriety. So I'm dying to know what the other pillars are. So movement, we have to move our bodies and we also have to be purposeful about the direction our lives are going in. Connection is we have to have meaningful connection. Balance is whatever the question, balance is always the answer. Balance is an art. As our circumstances change, our needs change. And when we get out of balance, we feel uncomfortable in our own skins. So it's a key thing for, for people in sobriety that we have to balance our needs, you know, rest, work, health, mm -hmm. growth, all of that kind of stuff. Process is we have to process our past because our past will show up in our present and our past shows up in our present every single day until we can understand it heal it validate the stuff that happened to us so that's a key pillar and then growth we're either growing or we're dying and uh, you if you look around you will see that's true in people and businesses and communities we are all called to grow we have to grow but when we abuse substances we don't have the bandwidth to grow emotionally in the way that we're designed to. So we have to listen to that call 
to grow that's inside of us. And that means with growth will always come some fear and resistance. And learning how to navigate around fear and resistance is a life skill. So we can honor that growth that's inside of us. So that's the the program that I put together based on my experience and my work for, for people to understand that it's not just stopping drinking. This is the mm. stuff you need to do. It's not just about not drinking. It's about deeper emotional work. And people would say, well, what is that exactly? And and I put this together to be able to say, it's this, do this. Thank you for sharing that. That's very profound. And, and I look forward to reading the book. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we'll, we'll be on my Christmas list, I think. <laughs> Thank you. Good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we'll stop there and, and listen to another track because... Uh, Again, I love this track. <laughs> um, I love the artist. So it's Kate Bush and Running Up That Hill. So tell us about this one. Yeah, it, it's a very Generation X playlist, if you haven't noticed. And I didn't, I wanted to make sure I included some of my favorite women in there. And uh, Kate Bush is just, I mean, this album it was just one of those albums that I listened to over and over and over and over again in, 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 in bed in the dark. Um, she is just a level of genius that you know very few people reach so i'm just i've always been a big kate bush fan yeah me too
So that was Kate Bush running up that hill. Fantastic track there. Um, you're listening to Recovery Now Radio, brought to you from the living room in Adveriad. Let's recover together. So, Veronica, I'm, I'm going to pick on your experience here. I wondered if, you know, as addicts, we've been in that really dark, dark place, that, you know, the hole, the whatever you want to call it, the rock bottom. Mm. What could you say now, maybe to somebody to sort of inspire them to get some support? I've been very visible about my sobriety and recovery for many, many years. And I think it's really, really important that as many people as possible do that so that those people that are in a dark place can see that there is an alternative. And, you know, I always say to people, I did not show up like this. Like, I know people look at me and think that, you know, my, my life looks pretty good because it is pretty good. It's not perfect like everybody's, but I have all the things I've wanted. I have a family, I have a career, I have a home, I have a loving husband. And I think it's really, you know, I, I always tell people, like, this didn't just happen. This wasn't luck. I, I put the work in and, and, and this is what I did. And I think the most important thing is is to give people some hope you know, I've seen hopeless cases recover. And, and I think it's about humanity, isn't it? It's about, you know, I don't see the behavior. I see the wounded child within someone. And I think for me, it's about connecting with that wounded child and uh, the empathy of like, I, I know what it's like to hurt like that. And, and you're not alone in hurting like that. And you don't have to hurt like that. You know, it, there is another way. The one thing that I would say to people, because I hear this a lot is, getting sober is so hard you know it's so hard you know I keep trying it's so hard and I'm and I always push back on that and say no it's not sobriety is not hard drinking is hard being in full-blown alcoholism and addiction that is hard work every day recovery takes effort it takes effort for sure it's not going to just happen to you. You have to put some effort in, but it's not hard. And it's really reframing that and in, in people's minds that, you know, because that's really a limiting belief. If we tell ourselves something's going to be hard, that's what we'll experience. It requires some effort. But the thing is, when you put, you know, effort into having an alcohol problem, it doesn't produce anything that you want. When you put effort into sobriety, it's not just that we get sober. It's that it opens up things in us, you know, it, it gives us opportunities and growth that we couldn't even imagine. You know, I, I'm sure like you guys continue to work on myself and continue to do things that support my recovery and mental health. And I don't do that because I want to stay away from a drink today. I don't even think about it. I do it because I know that it continues to help me grow and expand and be a better version of myself. And, and I, I know from my own experience, it, it was, you know, at first it was, I knew I had to do it, you know, I yeah. had to, yeah. but, but now I don't have to do it. I do it because I want to do it. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. I, you know, my world has opened up so much yeah. since I've been in recovery. It's just yeah. transformed. And like you say, you know, people forget how you were, you know, like, yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. So uh, th thank you, you know, for, for sharing that. It's uh, it's really good. And, and and this is why we're so passionate about having people like you on this radio station, because we, we want to sort of pass that message of hope to people yeah. as well, you know. So we'll listen to um, another track now. We've got Street Spirit by Radiohead. So why did you choose this one? Oh, this kind of gives me chills because I love Radiohead very much. Um, but it also does remind me of, of the 90s in the UK, living in London, 
it reminds me of that show if you remember this life um it, it and it wasn't a great time of my life and there's a few songs that remind me of that kind of era but i i saw radiohead live when i was sober and and i just they're just such an incredible band so uh yeah i love them so i wanted to include them
so that was um, Radiohead and Street Spirit. Um, you're listening to Recovery Now Radio. Let's recover together. Um, so we're sort of nearly towards the end of the interview. Mm. Earlier, we, we were talking about the wound within and, and mm. the, the wounded child. And what would you have said, um, Veronica, to the inner child? I think that what I wanted to know was that, that I wasn't alone and there wasn't another way. And, and, you know, I think that's actually what saved me is I had a very deep sense that, that, that I could be more and that there was more to life. Like I had a very deep sense, but I, what I just didn't have was the how. I didn't know how to get to the place where I felt safe and life felt manageable and I could fulfill my potential. I, whatever I tried didn't work. Like, I, and it was all outside fixes. So I, it was, it's having the how do you do it? You know, for me, it was the 12 steps. It was, you know, the therapeutic work. You know, it's also the, the program that I, the, my Soberful program, the five pillars, it's, a, it's the how. And it's really about the internal work. So uh, it's an inside job, you know. Um, so I would want to say to to that you know hurting child that there is a different way and there is a how and you're not alone you know that for me it was a tremendous relief when I uh went to AA meetings to discover I wasn't alone I, I felt such I truly believed I was the I thought everybody else on the planet was absolutely fine you look fine you lot lives look great you had no struggles no fears I was the only one who felt like this it was absolutely eye-opening to me to realize that I wasn't alone other people had this struggle and also were a bit further down the path that that is just gold I think mm-hmm. and and did that take a lot of fear away as well yes that that normalized everything for me mm-hmm. you know it re- dramatically reduced my fear yeah it's interesting yeah so shall we play another piece of music now um sorry um so the next song that you've chosen is um crucify by tori amos why why did you choose this yeah i mean just another genius female singer songwriter and and this was just a huge album in the 90s just another you know i nearly everybody that i've played you know the cure particularly and tori amos and kate bush you know when you were just talking about feeling so alone and disconnected you, uh, it was lyrics to songs that it's like that's exactly how I feel that's my experience and it, it's really you know again it's sustaining so I, I think this uh, uh, her album was just incredible and uh, just one of my favourite albums from, from back then brilliant just what God needs one more victim Jeez. 
have my suffering so that I can have my cross and a cat named Easter. He says, will you ever learn? You're just an empty cage girl if you kill the bird. I've been looking for a savior in these dirty streets. Looking for a savior beneath these dirty sheets. I've been So that was Crucify by Tori Amos. You're listening to Recovery Now Radio, brought to you from the living room in Adveriad. Let's recover together. Um, So sadly, Veronica, this is sort of the last Mm -hmm. little bit of chat that we're going to be able to do now. So thank you so much for coming in. You've you've been so informative. Um, I've I've certainly taken a lot away with me (laughs) from this interview. So thank you on a very personal level. Um, Thank you so much. I think one of the things I'd like to ask you, if you had, you know, one thing that was with you from being sober, 
what what is that thing what what is it what's the greatest gift yeah that's a much better way of putting it yeah <laughs> my authenticity Ah, nice. My my insides matching my outsides because that was never the case for so long. Who I was on the inside was nothing at all like what I showed the world. And and that is the most painful experience I think that a human being can have is the the disconnection with oneself. Um, when people ask me what I do and, and what I, you know, I say I'm an addictions therapist, whatever, but what I really do is I return people to themselves. And um, it, it's it's hard to describe, but when it it's not it, it's like tuning in one of those old fashioned TV sets. Do you remember when you like mm. you had to tune the dial to get the picture, and and you just keep tuning. And some days it's not good picture, and but you keep going, and and then the picture, and and now it's like in HD, full color, and it it is the the con- deep connection with myself and the gift of authenticity. That my belief is that there is simply nothing else in life more important than that. Well, there's nothing else to say now. <laughs> that was just amazing. Thank, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. This has been amazing. I've loved this so much. It's been oh, so that's fun. good. Oh, I'm glad you've enjoyed it. That's great. Yeah. So on that note, I think we will um, say goodbye. Um, I have a few thank yous. So thank you. Thank you, Veronica, for, for you know, enlightening us. And, um, you know, it's been a really interesting uh, episode. So big, big, big thanks from over here. And um, thank you very much to The Living Room and Adveriad for allowing this show to go ahead. Um, it's, you know, very important to us, like Veronica was saying, you know, it, it is about having things like this out there so so people do get hope from it so mm. uh, I hope hope that's the message that we're carrying and uh, we do feel very passionate about it so um, yeah so so but we need lots of support lots of you know followers lots of likes on Facebook and all the media things that we do um, on Mixcloud as well please you can see all the episodes and catch up and uh, yeah just just keep keep following us and keep supporting us that's 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 what we want so uh, thank you so much and um, we have one final track um, from Veronica and um, you've chosen go on you tell us what it is Veronica so I wanted to pick you know it was a very generation x playlist pretty much everything was from the 90s um, I wanted to um, choose something for my children because they are the greatest gift of sobriety and my um youngest uh son has discovered uh rap however i won't let him let him listen to most of that because it's full of profanity and misogyny so we found nf who is a a rapper who um very purposely doesn't use uh profanity in his songs and and there's no misogyny but also um i found out that he's also a mental health warrior He, he you know his songs are a lot about mental health and you know his feelings and all that kind of stuff and I really like that so we both really really enjoyed it so this one is from my kids Xavier and Luke who the best job in the whole world is being their mommy and it's the best gift of sobriety amazing thank you so much we'll give it a listen thank you hey Nate how's life I don't know it's all right. I've been dealing with some things like every human being and really didn't sleep much last night I'm sorry that's fine 
I just think I need a little me time. I just think I need a little free time. A little break from the shows and the bus rides. Yeah. Last year I had a breakdown. Thoughts telling me I'm lost, getting too loud. Had to see a therapist and I found out. Something funny's going on up in my house. Yeah, started thinking maybe I should move out. You know, pack my car, take a new route. Clean up my yard, get the noose out. Hang up my heart, let it air out. I've been searching. What does that mean, Nate? I've been learning. Grabbing my keepsakes, leaving my burdens. Well, I brought a few with me. I'm not perfect. Looking at the view like this concerns me. Picking up the cues, right? I'm quite nervous. Hate it when I lose sight. Life gets blurry and things might hurt me. It's probably gonna be a long journey, but it's worth it though. Cold world out there, kids. Grab your coat. Spend a minute. I know now I'm back to wrong. Looking for the antidote to crack the code. Pretty good that I admit it. I'm in classic mode. The only pity given to me, but I can't condone. Talking down to me, I'ma have to crack your nose for cracking jokes. I'm looking for the map to hope. You see They're making a whole lot of changes. Wrote a song about that. You should play it. I get scared when I walk on these stages. I look at the crowd and see so many faces. Yeah, that's when I start to get anxious. That's when my thoughts can be dangerous. That's when I put on my makeup and drown in self-hatred. Forget what I'm saying and where the beat go. Oh, ain't that some drums came in? You ain't see that coming. Hands on my head, can't tell me nothing. Got a taste of the fame and a bump my stomach. Throw it back up like I don't want it. Wipe my face, clean up my vomit. OCD trying to push my buttons. I said don't touch it. Now y'all done it. I can be critical, never typical. Intricate with every syllable, I'm a criminal. Intimate but never political, pretty visual. Even if you hate it, I make you feel like you're in it though. You call me what you want, but never call me forgettable. Leave you deep in thought, I can never swim in the kiddie pool. Wait it, I've been thinking the cinematic is beautiful. Man, I don't know if I'm making movies or music videos, videos, videos. Yeah, the sales can rise, doesn't mean much though when your health declines. See, we've all got something that we trapped inside that we try to suffocate, you know, hoping it dies. Try to hold it underwater, but it always survives. And it comes up out of nowhere like an evil surprise. And it hovers over you to tell you millions of lies. You don't relate to that? Must not be as crazy as I am. The point I'm making is the mind is a powerful place. And what you feed it can affect you in a powerful way. It's pretty cool, right? Yeah, but it's not always safe. Just hang with me. This will only take a moment, okay? Just think about it for a second. If you look at your face, every day when you get up and think you'll never be great, you'll never be great. Not because you're not, but the hate will always find a way to cut you up and murder your faith. I've been developing, take a look at the benefits. Nothing to matter with, I can never be delicate. My irrelevant, that depends on you measure it. Take a measurement to back it up and give me the evidence. Pretty evident, dependable, can never be tentative. I'm a gentleman, depending on if I think you're genuine. Pretty elegant, but not afraid to tell you to get a grip. Proper etiquette, I keep it to myself when I celebrate. Huh? It's that time again, better grab your balloons and invite your friends. See, bounce back on, yeah, strap them in. Look at me, everybody, I'm smiling big. On a road right now that I can't predict. Tell me, tone that down, but I can't resist. Y'all know that sound, better raise your fist. The search begins, I'm back, so enjoy the trip. Huh?